Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to the Caixin Zinica Business Brief, a joint podcast from the China Project and Caixin Global. We bring you the most critical business and finance news from China. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast, part of the China Project. Apologies for the delay with this week's show. In this week's episode, the Chinese central government has got a new lineup of leaders in a once-in-five-year reshuffle. The country has resumed visa issuance to foreigners, and a top solar panel manufacturer will build a multi-million-dollar factory in the United States. Let's jump right in. China's new premier, Li Chang, took office on March 11th during the country's most important annual political gathering, the Lianghui, or Two Meetings. In accordance with his nomination, a new lineup of vice premiers and state councillors were then elected the next day. All of the four new vice premiers are Politburo Standing Committee members. Among them, the top-ranked is Ding Xuexiang, the other three, He Lifeng, Zhang Guoqing, and Liu Guozhong, all have leadership experience at the provincial level. Among the five new state councillors, Shen Yiqin, a former party chief of Guizhou province, is the only woman in the top echelon of the new central government leadership. The state councillors also include Qin Gang, the current foreign minister who previously served as China's ambassador to the United States. Meanwhile, only two of the state council's 26 ministries and commissions have welcomed new chiefs. The Ministry of Defense is now headed by Li Shangfu, a longtime veteran of military technology. China's core economic planning agency, the NDRC, or National Development and Reform Commission, is now led by Zheng Shanjie. Those who retain their positions include Central Bank Governor Yi Gang, and Finance Minister Liu Kun, moving on to some good news for international travelers. This past Wednesday, China resumed issuing a range of visas to foreign travelers in a move to fully reopen the country's borders after three years of COVID restrictions. Foreigners with valid visas issued before March 28, 2020 are now able to enter the country. What's more, authorities have resumed visa-free entry for certain groups including those visiting the resort island province of Hainan or entering Guangdong province in groups from Hong Kong or Macau. For port visa applicants, however, they will still be subject to an assessment by the authorities. A port visa would allow travelers to gain entry to China without first obtaining a visa at the Chinese embassy or consulate. 
Previously, foreign nationals had to face enormous hurdles when traveling to China since March 2020, when the country essentially closed its borders due to the COVID pandemic. Despite the latest upbeat news, travelers flying between China and the United States are still likely to feel the pinch of infrequent and pricey services, as the two governments retain limits on the number of flights imposed during the pandemic. Chinese carriers such as Air China and China Eastern Airlines were eager to add services between the two countries after China lifted restrictions on international flights. However, applications from these Chinese airlines for additional flights have not been approved by the United States. Currently, Chinese airlines operate eight weekly routes to the U.S., while American carriers run 12. The numbers are well below those before the pandemic. We will soon be able to see how China's relaxation of visa issuance will factor into this sector. Next, let's turn to another sector that China and the U.S. both care about. Chinese solar giant Longji Green Energy Technology Company will partner with U.S. solar developer Invenergy to build a $600 million solar panel assembly factory in Ohio, according to the local government there. The project will be Longji's first entrance into the United States manufacturing market, it's expected to create 850 jobs. Construction is scheduled to begin next month, and operations are expected to start by the end of this year. The project is part of a broader effort to localize photovoltaic manufacturing in the United States, where supply chain security and government subsidies are driving a new wave of investment in the solar wafer sector. Chinese solar manufacturers dominate global panel production but have been stymied from shipping to the U.S. because of a series of trade disputes. Several industry analysts told Caixin that many Chinese companies are hesitant about setting up plants in the U.S., largely because of concerns about policy uncertainty and geopolitical risks. Some of the businesses have moved to expand exports from plants in Southeast Asia. Moving on to the chip-making field, an IT ministry official has been appointed head of China's biggest state-backed semiconductor investment fund company almost nine months after the previous chief was placed under an investigation amid a sector-wide corruption probe. Zhang Xin, who served as an inspector at the Ministry of Industry and Information Technology, has replaced Ding Wenwu as president of the scandal-rocked National Integrated Circuit Industry Investment Fund Company, several industry sources told Caixin. The company, also known as The Big Fund, aims to bolster China's self-sufficiency in shipmaking and reduce reliance on imported technology. Over the years, it has built up a sprawling portfolio, backing the growth of industry leaders such as Hong Kong-listed SMIC and Huahong Semiconductor Limited. However, a string of corruption probes of senior executives starting back in 2021 has led policymakers to attempt a reset of the investment entity. Despite the anti-graft investigations, the fund has continued to invest, pledging some 13 billion yuan to Yangtze Memory Technologies Company, China's top memory chip maker that has been blacklisted by the U.S. And finally, some good news this time for China's property industry. Official data showed that the country's troubled real estate sector is showing glimmers of improvement as declines in investment and sales narrowed. 
In the first two months this year, property development investment dropped about 6% year-on-year by value compared with a 10% decline for the whole of 2022. Meanwhile, property sales fell about 4% by floor space compared with a 24% decline in 2022. In addition, residential project completion posted positive year-on-year growth, reversing a months-long decline. The signs of improvement come at a time when authorities have been reassuring the market with a series of supportive measures, such as relaxing restrictions on home buyers and providing easier access to funds for developers to complete stalled projects. For property developers, 2022 was a rough year, with problems ranging from the ongoing liquidity crunch to delays in deliveries that eventually led to a mortgage strike across China. The protracted housing market downturn has dealt a heavy blow to the world's second-largest economy. Let's turn now to Caixin Global finance reporter Zhang Yukun. Hello and welcome back to the show, Yukun. A pleasure to be here. So today we're going to talk about a business model that has become quite popular among insurers, uh, but has also made regulators pretty concerned. This model is often called the insurance plus service solution. So what does that mean? What kind of insurance is involved and what services are we looking at here? I'll explain the services part first. It refers to accommodation in the type of senior living community called continuing care retirement communities, or CCRCs. This type of community is marketed as being able to meet all your needs as you age. Healthy seniors can engage in activities and socialize with other retirees. And when they get older and more infirm, they can get professional nursing help on site so that they don't have to move to a nursing home. CCRCs have been around in the U.S. for decades. A famous example is Sled City in Arizona. Uh, it has been admitting residents since 1960. And they're getting bigger in China now because, as you possibly already know, China has a rapidly aging population. It's estimated that by 2050, more than a quarter of the population in China will be people aged 65 and older. Of course, we have this tradition here that children should take care of their parents. But the one-child policy was only relaxed and then abandoned in the past few years. So a lot of people born in the past four decades might, at some point, look for old-age care services for their parents. So the demand for old-age care is growing. A lot of people see business opportunities. They started building CCRCs to cater to seniors who are economically better off. Not only property developers, but insurance companies are jumping on board. One of them is Taikang Insurance. This company's subsidiaries are operating 13 CCRCs and building another 18 across 27 Chinese cities. These are high-end residential compounds with hospitals on site. And seniors there are paying somewhere between 10,000 and a little over 30,000 yuan a month for one apartment and services, depending on the size of the apartment. So the threshold is about 120,000 yuan a year or what's that, $17,000, yeah? Right. And the average disposable income in Beijing was only $11,000 last year. Okay, so now we know what the services are. What about the insurance that's involved? Insurance companies that operate CCRCs are selling insurance products and opportunities to live in these communities as a bundle. So if you've paid enough premiums into their insurance products, you're earning millions of yuan. You can be guaranteed an apartment in one of their CCRCs for yourself 
or you and your spouse as a couple or your parents. It's also possible to move into these apartments without buying insurance products, but then you have to put down more deposits and pay higher rates for the rooms. Okay, so is there a problem? China's top insurance regulator thinks that this business model can be very risky, especially for smaller insurers. If you think about how it works, there are a lot of things that can go wrong. The insurance companies are promising future access to housing that may be decades away. What if they underestimate demand and people overbook their rooms? And also, building residential compounds can be very risky too because it requires huge sums of investments that can put a strain on a company's liquidity. So the regulator put out draft rules to determine who can be involved in this business model and who can't. So who actually qualifies for operating these CCRCs? There is a long list of requirements you have to check. You have to have at least 5 billion yuan in net assets, reach certain levels of the solvency ratio for four consecutive quarters, and meet a lot of other requirements. So basically, you need to have a very strong balance sheet and be prepared to deal with any uncertainties and risks. So as we said, a lot of insurers have been carrying out this business model. How many of them actually passed the test? Out of the 27 insurance companies that are engaged in CCRC businesses right now, only 10 could keep operating this business model. That is, if the draft rule is going to effect. Uh, so what could happen to those 17 companies that, that didn't? They may have to suspend the business and rectify until they meet all the requirements. Brutal. Yeah, we have a source who participated in the drafting of the rules, and they said that the regulator isn't trying to put a stop to this business model. But the regulator actually acknowledges the good in it, but it wants to take precautions to prevent risks before anything actually goes wrong. Well, thanks so much for this, Yukun, and we look forward to having you back on the show again soon. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief was produced this week by Kaiser Guo and by Lin Jinbing, Bertrand Tio, and Zhen Wang at Caixin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin of Caixin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Check out some of the other great podcasts on the Seneca Network, like the amazing China in Africa podcast and Strangers in China. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to Access from the China Project. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.